My name is Kirsten Adorian, and I will be having a conversation with Noga Schwartz for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans identifying people. It is May 26, and this is being recorded in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. So, would you like to tell me your name? age and your gender pronouns? My name is uh, Noga Schwartz. I am 33 years old, um, trans masculine, and I use male pronouns he, him, and his. And uh, when was the first time that you heard the word trans or you uh, engaged with trans community? First time I heard about trans uh, or like transgender specifically, it was probably as a kid watching like really shitty daytime talk shows like Maori, and you know when they would have the very scary transsexuals on television. I haven't seen oh and Maori like and Mari, the like yeah. the talk show. Yeah, I, um, yeah. that was probably the first instance of like trans I heard of, or Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, so that was, that was like my first hearing of the word, like my first experience of like trans humans, like meeting other trans folks. Um, I came out when I was probably around, I think that the word finally felt applicable to me around like 16, 17 years old when I found out it could be an actual thing Mm -hmm. that there weren't just trans femme people, but there were also trans men. And I met the first person ever uh, was Topher Gross, who reached out to me on Friendster and on PlanetOut.com back in 99 when I was a kid. Amazing. So, uh, like 99, 2000. And uh, he, was, he had been on that point on Hormones for a while, and I had just started posting. And he reached out to me and said, like, hey, cutie. And I was like, first trans person ever that I had a conversation with. What were both of those sites like at that point? Um, well, I mean, you know, we were AOL. It was like, uh, (laughs) you know, middle of the night kind of stuff. Um, planetout.com started out as an AOL like chat room in the Mm nineties. They had like the gay chat rooms and it was, it was like, you had the bar that came up for like the AOL communities. And then one of them was planetout.com, like planet out. And then it gained so much momentum, it started its own website, right? Which was, like, amazing. And they had classifieds, like, you know, kind of like Tinder, Mm -hmm. uh, more like Mm -hmm. OkCupid, online dating. And they were the first and only. uh, At first, they didn't have F to M or M to F or trans available. But within two or three years, they were the only website that allowed you to choose trans. Wow. They had five gender options. F to M, M, M to F, male, female, and other. And that was back in like 98, right. 1998. And nobody did that. Whereas like, I think OkCupid did only it, started doing that like what, two years ago, three like years ago? Three years yeah. ago. Like no, no one was doing that. Yeah. Unless you went to like a transsexual dating website, which was like some deep web you know, sex worker shit, mm-hmm. you know, that wasn't like, I'm looking for a 
significant other kind of thing, you know, that was like people were working those. Um, so yeah, Planet was the only one that did it until they stopped existing in like, I don't know, 2004, 2005. Wow. Um, that's, it's, it's always cool to hear about like, um, like early or well, internet communities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, we had also like live journal. Yes. Um, which was a thing I wasn't really like, I did like the planet out thing and like friendster. I had a live journal, but I wasn't in a lot of like the like F10 communities. Like in a few, I was like more in like Yahoo groups and like trans bucket was a website that talked about surgeries and showed pictures. When you were on these sites, were you in any way in real life, like connecting with trans community outside of that? A little bit here and there. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, like, I came out to my friends and myself when I was about 17. And, like, started binding around then, like, 16, 17. Like, 16, I started binding. I mean, I was binding on and off ever since puberty just because, like, I hated the whole experience of it. Um, but I finally told my friends when I was 17, I was like, guys, I am a transsexual. I identify as male. And they were all like, yeah, duh. Like, you know, they were all like, of course, we all knew that. (laughs) Like, you were never a lady, Noga. Like, we've all known for a million years. Were these friends, were these, did these friends identify as queer themselves? Not really. Um, My one friend identified as bisexual. And in fact, like, my best friend that I came out to her first and then I came out to my other friend. One of them I'd known since I was 10 and the other one I met when I was 14. And Yannette... I was in love with her. Like, she was, like, the f- not the first person, but, like, I had a huge crush on her. We used to hook up all the time. Like, we were kind of, like, you know, weird teenage lovers. She dated other trans guys that I knew, like, as we got older. Like, she was very queer. And where was this? Paramus, New okay. Jersey, um, which is where I was growing up. For the most part, like, essentially, um, when I was 13, I was in and out of my parents' home a lot because I came out as queer, like as bisexual lesbian when I was like 13 and that was not great. So I was like sometimes living in Manhattan, like I would disappear for days. Where would you stay when you're in Manhattan? Um, squats, mostly Tompkins Square Park, ABC No Rio. Mm-hmm. If there was like a spot, pass out CBGBs and sometimes we'd forget that I was like on the bathroom floor you know, mm-hmm. um, until like four o'clock, like six o'clock in the morning when they were like, get the fuck out of here. Kind of the situation. Um, subways everywhere. Yeah. Lower East side, like the lower East side was my home. Um, since I was like 13, 14 in and out and around there. Mm. What do, do you want to talk more about your childhood and family background? Like about either growing up in New Jersey or like because you said you were in and out of your home at that point, like, after coming out, do you feel like, yeah, do you, do you want to talk about, like, what that looked like? When yeah, you came out? I mean, um, sure. I mean, growing up, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm an immigrant. I'm, like, not from, I wasn't born here. Uh, my family's from Israel. My parents are from Israel. My sister's born here. I was accidentally born here. Like, I was supposed to be born in the States. I was conceived here, but because of timing, like, I happened to be birthed in Israel, but then immediately came here Mm -hmm. when I was only a few months old. So I've spent my whole life in New York and New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, especially like 13 on, I was like in New York primarily. My cousins grew up in Flushing, Brighton Beach, the Bronx. Like that's all my dad's side of the family. They're all from here. I mean, you know, all my cousins 
Like, so New York is, like, really deep-seatedly, like, my blood and guts. And, like, in a lot of ways, like, growing up with so much access to the city, you know, you'd think that, like, things would be really progressive and people would be really good about shit, but my neighborhood wasn't. Like, Paramus was not by any means... It was, like, democratic in a lot of ways, and it was, like, very... I had, like, a lot of, like, super hippie teachers that were, like, you know really forward thinking and, mm-hmm. and like not even in the like stupid white liberal way, like really, really adamantly um, were like anti-racist socialist wow. hippie weirdos. Like I'm pretty sure my history teacher is actually an anarchist and like used to do all kinds of like women's lib stuff. And when I came out as trans was like super down and you know, like, and that was, like, always, like, the art social studies department. Like, they were, like, really great teachers. The town itself, um, 65% Asian, uh, Korean, and Catholic. So, like, there's like, this overlying Catholic population that existed in Paramus, New Jersey. And that played a lot into, like, how people viewed gay people, right? Like, teenagers are fucking awful, and their parents are terrible, and, you know, the town started out as blue-collar, but now is very much upper middle class I wouldn't say white upper middle class because like I said it's like 65% East Asian mostly Korean couple Japanese families but like then the rest of it is like Italian Jewish white and then you know it's like maybe three black kids in my whole school you know like and like my best friend growing up was Cuban you know there's like a few Latino Latinx people like around um and then there was, like, folks who were low-income, and that was, like, a very small group of people, and those were all the punks, weirdos, drama kids. Like, yeah. it was very clear who the outsiders were. We didn't eat at the lunch tables. We all ate out in the hallway. We all hung out at the mall. We were mall rats. Like, that's the misfits, the people, the goths, the, like, <laughs> you know. There was a little crossover in the theater department. Yeah. Um, and we were all, a lot of us were drug addicts. It was a whole thing. Um, and yeah, so like those kids, and even some of them were not cool with me being queer. Like not all of them, most of them were, cause we were just all like, well, we're all the weirdos. So we just have to like band together. Mm-hmm. But even amongst them, like they'd be like, oh, what do you mean you're, you're, you're gay fucking faggot dyke, you know, whatever. And then it'd be like, I'm like, deal with it or I'm going to break your face. And then they got over it really fast. Kind <laughs> of thing. So when I came out as trans, there was amongst my immediate friends, there was overwhelming support. Like, in fact, they're like, we've all known for years, Noga, like, the fuck, you know? In fact, all of us were pretty sure that you were a dude when we first met you, because I just always, even when I was a little kid, people would argue with me if I was a girl or a boy. I'd be like, no, I'm a girl. And they'd be like, no, you're not. And I'm like, I am. <laughs> and then I, so people would, be, would ask me, are you a boy or a girl? I'd be like, I'm an alien from another planet. Yeah. I've, here, I've come here to observe your race. You're failing miserably. And that's just, I identified as an alien from, like, first grade on when gender became, like, a thing that happened. Because I wasn't like the other girls. I have a very, like, typical trans narrative where I was, like, always kind of like a tomboy. It was, like, never grew out of it, I guess. Um, and people kept on telling my mom that it was a phase and that, you know, all girls go through this. And also, like, being Israeli, like, my dad never brought me up in a gender. You know, he was like, you want to have a car? You need to know how to fix a car. We have a boat. You need to learn how to sail it and fix it and work with wood. And, like, 
You need to know how to cook and clean because that's what grown-ups do. Like, you have hands that work, you will use them. That's it. Like, it's very communist, right? Like, it's like, if you can, you should. Do. Do. You know what I mean? Like, everybody has to lend a helping hand. So it's like, so like, being like Polish, Eastern European, like, that was status quo. But then, like, also being Jewish, there's like a certain kind of misogyny. It's like, but you should do it being proud to be a woman. You should do it, like, while wearing a skirt and high heels. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, maybe not high heels. Yeah. My dad thought they were really impractical, but my mom was like, look, I put up curtains and built this fucking thing, and I did it in heels. You know what I mean? So it was, yeah. like, very femme empowerment sort of thing. Like, we can do it. Women do it. Like, yeah. my mom knew how to use guns, like, you know, because of the IDF and, like, that kind of bullshit. Um, so, you know, there's, like, if you can, you do, and you need to, like, the added thing is, like, as a female assigned at birth person you need to do it kind of fabulously in a way <laughs> yeah which is it's a distinction from american culture right like yeah. it's it's like a very different thing and like i have a lot of feelings about israel and israeli like it's it is what it is and 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 we'll just we'll just like that's its own special whatever but as far as the feminism is concerned in the culture around like gender stuff it's really different from American. There's there's very different expectations, and in some ways can be even more misogynist in, like, weird spots, but, like, way more empowering. Like, way more empowering. Like, there are so many strong feminist women in my family. Um, like, so, like, this concept of, like, a, that, that's why it was so strange when my when I came out as trans that my family, like, rejected it so deeply and it wasn't for religion it wasn't for even like a cultural thing he's like women do what men do why do you need to change your body wow like why is that a thing like why put yourself through that like why make your life harder you know it was like why would you make this choice that would make your life so much difficult like men women genitalia who cares it doesn't matter like that was always the which is beautiful, right? Like, it really was, but unfortunately, like, it mattered to me. Yeah. Even though it shouldn't because of social construct, but it wasn't my social construct. Like, I was never brought up. Like, yes, there was some forced feminization. Like, mom was like, wear more dresses, grow all your hair. But it wasn't like, you need to love princesses. Right. You know what I mean? Like, my dad knows how to sew. He knows how to crochet. He can kind of cook. <laughs> but, like, he's not afraid of cleaning and doing housekeeping. Yeah. You know, like... My mom builds stuff. She's an interior designer. She puts curtains up. She uses power tools. She has her own tools, which every time my father uses them, she loses her mind. She's like, don't use my fucking power tools. You know what I mean? It's like, you have yours. These are mine. Like, because he fucks them up and drops them in the water. And then she's like, now I have to buy another $200 drill. (laughs) So, you know, like my parents both do these things. Like the manual labor, it doesn't matter. Um, But then there's like this weird flip side where it's like, I don't know. At one point where, like, when I was really put, she's like, why can't you be like Ellen? Oh, my God. So, like, my mom was into, like... (laughs) Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah, Ellen DeGeneres. (laughs) Like, she wears pantsuits, but she's still, like, she's got a nice, like, feminine short haircut. You know, there's, like, this whole thing of, like, or be, like, more like Roseanne Barr, (laughs) which... mm -hmm. Or, like, Rosie O'Donnell, and then Rosie O'Donnell got, like, the bad haircut, where my, my mom's like, I hate that haircut. I'm like, I hate it, too. It looks terrible. You know, I'm not doing the, like, weird, asymmetrical mom haircut <laughs> that you get in the Midwest now with the pink streaks. Everybody in Minnesota yeah, has it. it's real. It was, like, really cool in the 90s. Um, so, you know, there was, there was, like, 
Like, being butch was, like, fine, as long as I was okay with being what I was assigned. Like, being a masculine woman was fine. My aunt ran track and, and was shock put, you know what I mean? Which are, like... And she's, like, a tall lady that has broad shoulders. She's very strong. My grandma apparently used to lift weights. Like, there's, like, a lot of really strong butch-esque masculine, quote-unquote, women in my life. Right. Like, prime for lesbian separatism. Like, it's all... As long as you're okay with a uterus. You know what I mean? Like, that was, like, just be okay with your uterus and have babies. Oh, and find a nice woman or man, whichever. Like, at first it was like, obviously you need to marry a man who's, like, respectable of your womanhood. But then they're like, oh, you're a lesbian. Okay, find a nice lady that's respectful of your womanhood. And then they're like, oh, wait, you want to be a dude? And then I came out as gay. And then, you know, they're just like, you know what? At this point, we don't fucking care. Like, now my family's amazing. Oh, good. Um, but, yeah, when I came out, like, they, it was terrible. Like, I was in and out of my parents' house. I was somewhat homeless. Um, I had a lot of feelings about my gender. And, like, the only examples of masculinity that I had were, like, this kid that I referred to as my brother, um, he was, like, my best friend, and he literally saved my life, like, more than once. I was an EMT, and he multiple times had to take a defib to my heart because of overdoses and mixing of drugs and alcohol and all of those things that happened when I was younger in my teens. Um... So, like, I owed him my life, you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him finding me in a dumpster or, like, doing mouth-to-mouth or rescuing me from God knows what situation I was in at whatever club or picking me up in Patterson after a drug deal went wrong. You know, like, um, you know, like, he did a lot for me. Unfortunately, he was also, like, the worst example of masculinity that you could ever get. Like, he was, like... Uh, you know, you're a man's man, you know, monster trucks, WWE, blah, blah, blah. Really homophobic. Like, for his own reasons, like, he experienced a lot of abuse, like, sexual abuse from male nannies. You know what I mean? And it was real. So, like, I was, like, when I came out as male and started living as male, like, I got, like, I had lots of gay male friends, and it was fine that they were gay, but, like, I couldn't be gay. Like, because my masculinity wasn't allowed to be, like, I was very, like, homophobic. Yeah. towards myself you know what I mean and like very like oh trans men can't love men like what's the point of transitioning if you're gonna like sleep with men you might as well stay a girl you know what I mean like cause that whole like binary of top bottom you know whatever like really really terrible patriarchy and misogyny and, and like femphobia and I always dated femme mm. actually I was, was very attracted to like other gender non-binary like dykey but like I was still the the butcher one, you know what I mean? And it was, like, very much establishing this, like, very specific, like, I was a stone butch. Like, I didn't get fucked. I didn't, like, and if I did, it was, like, usually when I was inebriated or, like, under, like, really strange circumstances. Sometimes I would consent to, but, like, I felt weird about it because I thought if I didn't consent to it, my girlfriend wouldn't love me anymore kind of a thing. And I got dumped multiple times because, like, I would be like, I'm trans and I want to identify as male and I'm going to like... <laughs> you have so much to say, Captain. Are you done? <laughs> it's like till the door opens again. Um, um, you were saying... Uh, you were talking about like uh, coming coming out as gay also as like a trans guy. Yeah, and so... Then, and then the people you were attracted to. So, yeah, early in transition, I had, like, a very toxic masculinity. 
because I was posturing because I wanted to pass. Um, and it was really dangerous in the early 2000s, late 90s. Like, I got jumped multiple times. I had two of my ribs broken and my collarbone broken in a bar in Nyack, New, Jer- in Nyack, New York after this guy thought I was hitting on his girlfriend. You know what I mean? And, like, I had gotten shoved into lockers. I've had rocks thrown at me. I have had my life threatened. I've been stabbed. Like, it's... I, I've, I've experienced a lot of physical violence for, A, being a dyke, and then later on not being a real dude. You know, and, like, being a trap or faking it. Especially after, you know, Brandon Tina. You know, that was, that was like... I don't know what Brandon Tina is. You don't know who Brandon Tina was? Boys Don't Cry, the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, that, that was, that was the, sto- that was the narrative. That's who, that was who the representation was. Yeah. You know, like that film, like that happened bef- around the time I came out. Yeah. Like, was it Brandon was killed? It was like 98, 97. And the movie came out in like 2001. I was going to say, like, 2002 or 2003, but yeah. I, like, yeah. right around there. Yeah. yeah like I was, like, eight, 17, 18 when that movie came out. And so, like, that that was Hollywood's big representation. Like, that was... Yeah. That's who we had as far as transmasculine. As far as trans femme, representation wasn't great. You had, like, Maury and, like, the fucking daytime shows. But there was still, like, some more positive people out there. That, like, you know, we had um, Auntie Kate, like... She was out there, and there there was, like, there was more representation of tr- of trans, of more famous trans feminine folks than there were of trans masculine. As far, like, even trans women were like, what do you mean you're a trans man? Like, I've had older trans femmes when I first came out as trans, like, I would go to a trans group, and it would be all these trans women, and it was me. Yeah. And they'd be like, wait, you're not tra- what do you mean? I don't understand. Like, they didn't know what was going on. You know what I mean? Because there was little access, even being in New Jersey and the internet being around, but there wasn't much on the internet. Like, we had, like I said, like, Planet Out only started having that stuff in, like, 2002, 2003 mm-hmm. as F to M, F to F. Um, actually, Bryn said, it was, like, really funny, like, something happened in the year 2000 specifically for trans masculine folks especially mm-hmm. that you would call F to M 2K. <laughs> um, and it was, like, this explosion of, like, I was about to say Tumblr. Uh, there was no Tumblr. Live journal groups. Um, planetout.com. Like, suddenly, Buck Angel. Like, there were suddenly trans men getting, like... There was always trans men, but, like, getting some sort of, like... Della Grace Volcano was making photographs and actually being recognized as an, as an artist. You know what I mean? Like, there was starting to be... Visibility? Vi- like actual visibility like there was always like in brooklyn and new york there was always like people around like i have friends that transitioned in the 70s and 80s and early 90s that are amazing people that have been in new york and there was always trans but it like it was like it was like past that like not just drag kings like not just murray hill you know like yeah and just this this and so like in the 2000s like early 2000s there was like this sudden recognition and like people were talking like I found out what a phalloplasty was, you know, 
and there was like trans fucking you could see surgery results and so like there was this amazing shift that happened after the millennium change you know they're like the turn of the century essentially like amazing explosion and like folks you know there was like gender studies there was stone butch blues there was like all of these things that just like pat califia like all of these folks that like they were around but they weren't getting the attention they were and now they were like on the map like people were on like cnn you know and like hollywood was paying attention and that just didn't exist before that that. and like so it was funny because like you have people who are younger than me like i came out really young and I transitioned a lot. Yet, like, I started hormones at 23. But I started socially transitioning when I was 18. Mm-hmm. Like, I was living full-time male. And that's an old transsexual term. Like, are you full-time? You know, like, uh, you're living this way? I started living full-time as male when I was 19 years old. Like, at school, as much as I could at home, at my jobs. Like, I was telling people I'm male-identified. And there was no protections. They had no idea what the fuck I was talking about. I remember I took a job and I went back in the closet because I was afraid. Um, I took a job at a photo studio and I was like, well, I'm not on hormones yet. I don't have any official documentation. I'm in therapy to get these things because you had Benjamin standards of care. Like you needed to live full time as male out. You needed to prove to a therapist for a year that you were male out And then you had to go see an endocrinologist that believed that this was a reputable therapist, like, that, you know, actually had a degree in gender identity disorder. You had to be diagnosed. Like, this was, you know, you had to meet these things. And then you had to be on hormones for a year before you could even talk about surgeries. Like, there was so much gatekeeping. Yeah. So, like, but that's the thing. To live out was, like, you needed to go to a job not on hormones not passing supposedly or looking like an 11 year old and they're like why do you look so young and it's like i don't know genetics you know what i mean or being like why does your paperwork say female like hopefully they don't check like yeah you know what i mean there's like this thing so like sometimes you just didn't get a job yeah you know what i'm saying or like double bind yeah it was it was like the system was so designed to keep you like under the thumb you know what i mean there was like no winning and like I'm not saying it's perfect now, but man, is it so different. I remember when I heard about Callum Lord, like, years later when I was, like, 23. When I was 22, I heard about it, and I started going to the Gender Identity Project. My friend Charlie reached out to me. We, we, we were, we're, like, kind of, we were friends. We met when we were 16. We were both, like, baby bro dykes. We tried to, like, maybe hook up, but it wasn't going to work. We met on <laughs> planetout.com. <laughs> And that's, that's how I met all my girlfriends, you know what I mean? Or, like, all my friends, all my queer friends I met. And they were all people that were in high school, like, around me, you know? And, like, I came out to them as trans. And what's funny is, like, now seven of my really good friends from when I was 16, seven or eight of us, have all transitioned. Most of us medically. And we all grew up together, like, since I was 16. So it was, like, this really strange thing, because, like, at the time they weren't out when I was, I was the first. Yeah. Actually, that's not true. Um, I think I was the first one that was out, but Jessica transitioned medically before I did. Like, I came out a little bit, but I was starting to live as male, and she was still identifying as male, but then shortly after, like, she's like maybe half a year older, like, she's like six months, eight months older than me. Uh, But she transitioned before I did. 
Um, but yeah, like she dated my old bandmate who I went to Hebrew school with and my other friend, Hiana, like we were, and like, everybody's like, it wasn't for you, Noga. Like I was, I was like the first one that was out. Like I was the L, the G, the B and the T growing up. Like it was just me all the time. And then when I was 23 and I started hormones, obviously testosterone made me gay because I met like my (laughs) first trans guy and I was like, I had like a huge identity crisis. I was like, fuck, am I attracted to this person because I'm not validating their gender? Like, do I not see them as male? And that's really fucked up because clearly they are like, who am I to second guess somebody's like gender, gender identity? Like that's so wrong. And then I, like, was really fucked up about it. And I was, like, and I, like, I didn't say anything to him. I was, like, I'm not gonna, like, but, you know, we, and I was, like, oh, but maybe he's, like, but he's really gay. Like, he hooks up with cis men. And I don't want to hook up with cis men. But I'm really attracted to him. And he's clearly male. So that makes me gay. But, like, I'm also, like, only date women. And, like, female-identified folks. I don't date male-identified folks. So it was, like, this whole, like, bah! And then we, you know, hooked up. (laughs) And it was perfect. And then I became, like, a flaming homosexual today. (laughs) I, uh, I'm glad you, I'm glad you were able to eventually, like, validate your own desires. But yeah, that, that, like, tie of just, like, all the intersecting identities. Um, I was gonna ask, uh, like, what was, mm, what, like, what people have been most important in your life? Or what scenes or communities have been most important or validating for you? I mean, Brooklyn's number one for me, which is why I've stuck around. I would be alive. Um, and this is a little embarrassing, but the Renaissance Festival. Yes. (laughs) I mean, you know, I started working at Ren Fair when I was 17 years old. I started going there when I was like nine. The Sterling Forest Upstate New York Renaissance Fair? Oh, yeah. (laughs) The official Nerf New York Renaissance Festival. It was the first place that I was full-time male. 100% 100% and nobody second-guessed me. I only told one person that I was trans at first. And they were like, I don't give a fuck. Like, it was just like, whatever. You know, and that was my adopted mom. And, uh, you know, she was also a sex worker. And so was her wife. And they were the second leather family I ever joined. Because I was in a leather family when I was 14. Um, that was really not okay and very, very like statutory rapey, non-consensual, fucked up, terrible, awful, but whatever. I I don't, I know that it was problematic. It didn't feel problematic to me at the time, but as an older person, I'm like, oh yeah, that was maybe not a great idea. You know, I think I was taking advantage of, even though I completely consented to it, but I was also on a lot of drugs, but you know, whatever we all do things. Um, so like, I don't know. Um, you know, they, they taught me how to, like, be a better, like, re-enter leather community in a way that was really empowering and beautiful and consensual. And this was straight. Like, I mean, yes, like, my mom had a wife, but, like, they, she was by no means bisexually identified. Like, they weren't queer, but that was, like, her best friend, and that was her wife. Like, they loved each other, and they would beat men up together. Like, that was the extent. Yeah. And to, like, also, you know, excite her her actual, like, like by paper husband. You know, they'd be like, eh, sure, why not? A woman's a woman. Why not? She's pretty. Yeah. You know, kind of like <laughs> a, you know, when straight people go queer for, like, five minutes kind mm-hmm. of a situation. So it was very much a straight 
mostly heterosexual, but not by any means heteronormative. <laughs> Uh, situation. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I was like with them for many, many, many years, and you know, they treated me really well, and you know, she always referred to me as her son, and like made me adorable Ren Fair outfits that were all like, you know, kilts and doublets, and you know, we even like tried to like she would try to like make stuff like shirts that would allow me to like not essentially go topless, but like hide my chest so that way I wouldn't have to like bind per se or like would help me find ways to like bind without hurting myself because it'd be really hot when I was working and one time actually my binder and this was how a bunch of people found out that I was trans that didn't know like I was surprised they didn't know but they didn't know because my mom said that this was their son and they just assumed that I was 12 (laughs) and that for some reason I was allowed to drink um (laughs) you know so it, it was this I was binding, you know, and this was before there was, binders weren't exactly prolific. Like, underworks existed, but I didn't know about them. And so, like, most binders were inaccessible. Like, there was, like, a few companies. So I was binding with whatever, like, ace bandages. Um, I used to use a back brace, and I took the boning out of the back brace, and I used to use that to bind. And when you're, you know, it's 98, 100 degrees outside, and you're wearing, like, leather and cotton, you know, like, period clothing with, like, all of my, like, you know, I was dressed as a pirate. Like I had like fucking leather on and, and, and pouches and things. And I'm working, like I was working, I was selling clothes and I was a corseteer. Like my job was to make corsets and lace people up. It was a great job. I loved it. I made great money. People would tip me. I got to be as the meaner I was, the more money they gave me. It was fantastic. And, um, yeah, like I was dehydrated one day cause I was the manager and I'm like running around. It was really busy. It was super hot that day. And I like, I fucking sat down and keeled over. I just fell. And, like, somebody ran over, like, started to do compressions, felt something weird, ripped open my shirt, like, just ripped all the just the gauze right open, saw the back brace, was like, are his ribs broken? I don't understand. And then, like, my my girlfriend was like, ah, he's trans, don't rip off the bite. They're like, this needs to come off. He's, his rib, his oh compression, he's not breathing fully yeah. because it was so tight. So, like, there I was, like, in front of, like, multiple people. Like, if I was male, like, nobody would see my boobs, right? So they were like, okay, uh... So, like, my girlfriend was like, no, cover him up. Like, you can't just rip off his binder. So, like, my binder had to come off. Yeah. And there was, like, a really scary moment. Like, I knew that everybody would be fine because there were other trans people at the Renfrew. Like, I wasn't the only one. But it was weird because nobody... Like, people knew, but they didn't know. Yeah. So I was, like, outed in this very intense way, like, sort of non-consensually, but, like... What were we going to do? I was going to die. You know, like, they needed yeah. to, like, make sure that I could do that. So the EMT, my, my brother came over and, like, you know, he'd see me in all kinds of ways and, like, ripped off my binder and, like, got me up and threw a towel around me and, like, got me, got walk, got fluids in me and they got me okay. And I was fine. I was just very dehydrated and I couldn't wear a binder because it was so hot. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, you know, trans people do crazy things to their fucking bodies that emotionally it helps a lot and, like... When you're doing, like, a harm reduction approach, it was like, binding's bad for you. It's not good for you. It hurts your body in the long run. There are things that you can do that are better than other things, but it it limits your, it contracts the muscles, it breaks down the tissue in the, in the chest, it constricts your airways, like, 
it causes a lot of long-term issues. I bound for 10 plus years. I have permanent damage in my shoulder and my neck from it. Like I have x-rays from before I bound and after I bound and what happened to the tissue in my chest. It's really interesting, like how it broke down. Like here we had like tissue that was really healthy and then it got like completely mashed. Like the nerves look weird. Like the x-ray is really interesting. Like, and there's not a lot of research done on that, you know, because especially like I said, like before 2005, 2007, even like the last five years, there was, we fucking talked about it. Yeah. Um, and there's not a lot of information. Everything is by hearsay or like, like I said, live journal groups, the gender identity project, like that trans masculine drop-in group. When I started going, when I was 22 years old was life saving. I never met like other than like Topher and like two other people that I knew that I met through like, just kind of like the moving around word of mouth sort of thing. Like we find each other, you know what I mean? Like through planetout.com, through Friendster, through like weird pathways. Like I knew like a few other trans men. I thought there were no Jewish trans men. I thought I was the only one. I was like, oh, Jews don't transition. And then I met like, I came to New York and I was like, they're all Jewish. (laughs) All trans men are Jewish. All guys that were not Jewish and trans identified before transition and then convert to judaism i did not i was not aware of this phenomena it, it was I, I, it's like everybody I, like i know so many converts yeah. like trans masculine people who convert to judaism i was like what is wrong with you i don't understand it's like really weird like i i, th- I thought i was thinking I, I actually i remember one time i was like talking to my dad about it he's like no that makes total sense <laughs> Why? of course jews would want to transition because of patriarchy <laughs> and like you know like fucking Look at Judaism. It favors men. They're allowed to hold the Torah and do all this stuff. Of course you would want to be male. You get all the you get all the perks. Like Jewish women have to be hidden away in the house. And I'm like, huh. <laughs> this is such a strange read, but I'll take it because you're also an atheist. Like my dad hates religion, so like he's like, Yeah, fucking patriarchal binary blah 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 bullshit. But not but it wasn't coming from a place of like he didn't like anything that that put women above men or men above wow. women. It was you know more just I mean? an atheist place. It was just a, like an atheist place and then like, you know, was catering to me being like, yeah, why would you have... Because I, uh, you know, when I was six, 15, I, st- I joined the Chabad. Like, I became religious. And I actually transitioned and was part of the Chabad till about 20 years old. Um, I was bald, I was going through the process of becoming Balchuva and I was thinking of going to rabbinical school. And uh, I don't know what Balchuvan is. Balchuva means um, somebody who off the de- somebody who was is Jewish or was like brought up Orthodox but stopped being Orthodox mm-hmm. and then decides to return. It's the return of the it's Balchuva. It's the return of the of the for- it's tru- to do chuvas to make forgiveness to okay. ask for re- is to make repentance. Okay. And Baal is the child, so it's uh, the child of repentance. It's the return of the prodigal child. You know, it's the return of the son. So you are. To be Balchuva means that you are coming back to the religion. Mm. So you, you know, you, you have like a whole process. You're not a convert because you were already Jewish. Right. And in fact, if you're Balchuva, you were already probably Orthodox. And the Chabad does this thing called Kiruv, which means to bring closer, to bring closer to God. That's why you have those guys on Eastern Parkway that are like, are you Jewish? 
And then they want to put, if you're male, they want to put the tefillin. Like, oh, do you want to come for Shabbos? Do you want to blow the shofar? Like, they want to, they get brownie points because they want to make you more Jewish. The more, the more Jews they bring closer to God and send over to Israel, the sooner the Messiah will come. This is like a whole weird, fucked up video game that they play. IRL. Um, so yeah, I like did that a little bit as a like, kind of like, fuck you to my family. Because I, it was, other than Redfair, it was like the other place that they were like, okay with me being male. Like they made space for me. There was a lot of arguing between me and my rabbi. Like it was like, are you sure this is what you need to do? And I was in the hospital, like after an attempt on my life. And, uh, he was like, no, this is really what will keep you alive. And I was like, yeah, I feel like I'm going to die. And he was like, well, then this is what you have to do. Like, that's it. Like, and not just like physically alive. Like you're, if this is what you and God need to do to make peace, then that's what, if this will bring you to God, if this will make you like a more full person, then this is what you have to do. You, life trumps all. I mean, life takes is the most important. <laughs> yeah. it, you're allowed to break every law of the Bible to preserve a life, uh-huh. and it's not just like the heartbeat, but they it also some interpretations say like also the emotional mm-hmm. and the religious and the and the neshama the, the soul has to want to live, has to want to continue, and if that means that you have to like if somebody gets hurt, like somebody's crossing the street and gets hit by a car on the Sabbath. You break the Sabbath and you get them the fuck to the hospital. Right. Because to save a life is the most important thing. It's, that's it. Like, anybody who argues otherwise is out of the, doesn't know what Torah is. Doesn't know what the Bible says. Number one is life. Um, So, like, that, that was what my rabbi in the community that I was part of, like, was like, did they judge me? Did they talk about me quietly behind my back? Was I othered here and there? Absolutely. Like, it was... It could be alienating. And I was never humiliated. I was never made to feel bad about it. Like, in fact, there was sometimes a sort of, like, weird enthusiasm for me. Hmm. Like, almost like a backhanded compliment. You know? I don't know how to describe it. Like... They were more excited that I was wanting to be Jewish mm. than the fact that I was trans. Like, that was more important. Like, I was I was like, oh, I went for Shabbos with someone. They're like, oh, you went for Shabbos? <laughs> That's great. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, like, any opportunity where, like, I could study more or, like, have a chavrusa or something. Like, it was like, yes. Oh, you're wearing a, you're wearing a suit? Mm. You look so, look how nice you look for Shabbos. Wow. You're wearing a yarmulke. Like, anything. So funny. That was bringing me closer, like, to religious life was what was more important than the fact that I wanted to, like, change my body. You know? And there were some people who weren't for it, like, yeah. but they didn't say anything to me. Like, I didn't hear about it. Yeah. Um, You know, they would have preferred if I didn't, if I didn't have sex with women. They thought that basically, like, I would be some kind of, like, nun, I guess, type. Mm. Like, a vow of... Or I'd only hook up with other trans people. Mm. Because, you know, we wouldn't be able to produce children anyway, so I should be with somebody who's like me, but obviously in the other way, because, you know, male and female, so I should be with a trans woman. It was, like, the only... For the most part, the only acceptable thing. Wow. Ish. Other trans men, maybe. Um, But, like, at least there was, like, kind of something 
because we'd never produce a child. So, like, if I had to be And that's the main goal, it sounds like. Right. Uh, And ideally, I wouldn't have sex, period. Like, I'd be, like, just, like, somebody who lived as male that had all the benefits. Like, and I wasn't allowed all of the male rights. Like, there's in, like, different rabbis said different things. Uh, But according to the Kabbalah, there are six recognized genders. And, you know, I was to follow the laws of the six recognized genders. And there are specific rules on how to handle somebody who falls within those genders. What are the... Um, if you don't mind, like what, what the, genders are they? Like, uh, there's Tim Tum. I don't remember off the top of my okay, head. They're, they're, in, they're in Hebrew and Yiddish. Tim Tum is one of them, but there's like a lot of them have to do more with like, some of them are about like effeminate men and masculine women are like two kind of, and that's like a very like loose. Sure. And then there's ones like intersex conditions, like specifically like actual medical situations where somebody has like. I guess, ambiguous genitalia. Because, mm-hmm. like, babies would be born and they're like, mm, do we give them a bris or not? Right. You know what I mean? So there are six recognized genders. Four of them, I think, have to do with very specific instances of, like, intersex conditions. Mm-hmm. And I think two of them are, like, essentially, like, gale, effeminate men and masculine women kind of something. Mm-hmm. It's... There's a lot. Like, there's a lot of interpretations and, like, there's no... Um, but it's interesting. That is interesting. Um, and it's a Kabbalah thing. Like it's, it's like very much more in the mystic part, not in the Torah itself. Even though I think there's like even things about like what to do with a child that has like a medical issue because you know, there's that whole part of Leviticus that talks about when you get a pussing boil, that is this, it means that you have been make a sacrifice of three goats and hide in a cave, and eight Hail Marys, or whatever, yeah. whatever it is, until the pus goes away. <laughs> yeah, there's parts of the Bible that deal with, like, medical... Right, specific. Like, weird me- medical issues. But anyway, so yeah, I was religious, and in some ways that was really important to me, and then I realized I wasn't into the whole, like, men being separate from women, because, like, they're, they, like as much as they made space for me, they didn't make space for me. It was still, like, I wasn't... I was a special case. I was an oddity. I was a token. I was, I was still very much an other. Yeah. And I wasn't allowed to participate in everything the way that I wanted to. And so it wasn't fulfilling for me. And as I got older, I got, and more terrible things kept happening in my life, like outside of my being trans, but like my friends dying and getting shot and like all this violence I was experiencing. And I'm like, and where is God? You know, I was like, I'm X at this age and I've lost this many friends. And like, why, why is the universe still punishing me? You know what I mean? And it's like, I couldn't, it just got, got harder and harder to believe in an entity that would allow terrible things to happen. Like, where was this all forgiving, like loving being that was supposed to protect me? And I'm doing all the things and like, it's like, no, try harder. No, try harder. And I'm like, you know, and in Judaism, you don't really have an afterlife. You're supposed to make this life count. You're supposed to reap the rewards of this life, yeah. you know? So it's like, I'm not reaping any rewards. I'm just in pain all the fucking time. Do you feel like you had a formal exit from that community or do you feel like it just kind of fizzled out? Like you just kept spacing from it? Um, a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, I used to work at a Hebrew school. And finally, at some point, mostly because my schedule was changing and I decided also primarily to move to New York 
Um, and I started really hanging out. Like I found, I found the New York queer community is really what happened. And I still had a, like a lot of Jews in New York and it was still like evolved, but I found CBST. I don't know what CBST is. That is Congregation Beit Simchat Torah. Okay. That's the largest gay synagogue in the world. Oh, It's cool. here in New York. It's been around since the 70s. And so I was still wanting to be Jewish, but I didn't want to be religious. And I wanted to be Jewish and queer. And I wanted to be in a space that allowed me to do that. So I started going every Friday night, pretty much, for Shabbos. Granted, it was like reform. It wasn't religious, but it was still Jewish life. And I got really involved for a Several years, like for a while. That's how I met a bunch of folks, like other trans men, a lot of converts, trans masculine converts, <laughs> and like other people. And th- between that and the gender identity group at the GIP, uh, I made a lot of like lifelong friends that I'm still friends with today. Some of whom I knew since I was 16, like trans yeah. people. And then, and that's how I met a couple of my boyfriends and my partners. And I met my girlfriend and we decided, we both agreed that me living in Jersey was more expensive and stupid because I was commuting and spending like, I was spending $400 a month on rent in New Jersey and then spending three to $400 a month on commuting into the city, you know, like three, four times a week, $800 a month. I literally could have had my own one bedroom here in Brooklyn at that time, not now, but you know, so I was like, well, let's fucking move in together then. And so we did. We had a one-bedroom. We paid $1,000 a month. I actually... She didn't even ask me to pay rent. She let me live there rent-free in exchange for, like... My job was to pay for the food and, like, keep the cleaning and just, like, in exchange. Like, you know, make it fair. I was like, that's fine. You're paying for my housing. I can get the food. Like, I'll pay the electrical bills. Like, Mm -hmm. I would do the other things. Um, And so I worked at Sears and we lived together and I bought the food and I helped keep the house clean and, you know, I cooked for her because I was way better at cooking than she was and... (laughs) Um, this was in Brooklyn? Yeah, okay. in Lefferts Gardens okay. back uh, about all 12 years ago, 11 years ago. Uh, I moved to Brooklyn in 2007, so 11 years ago. Because, um, yeah, it was 2007 going into 2008. I moved to Brooklyn uh, to Lefferts Gardens on Rublin Road between New York and Nostrand. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that summer, just before the week before I moved here, that's when I started testosterone. I was 23 years old. I'm 33 now, so I've been on testosterone for 10 years. What has, has there been ways that you're accessing, like, healthcare, like, related either to, like, hormones or to just, like, anything else in your life? How, like, I'm, I'm wondering about, like, how that's changed in those 10 years. I mean, Calum Lord was the first place that didn't require me to see somebody for a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had to go, like, see, see their psychiatrist to be like, mm-hmm. Yes, I'm a human and I'm aware of what this will do to me and I desperately want it. And they're like, cool, great. Go fill this prescription. We'll see you in a couple hours. You know what I mean? Like, Cal Lord was amazing. Like, I'd never experienced. Also, never having had insurance since I lived with my parents when I was 16 years old. Oh, okay. I had insurance when I was 18 because I went for one year to college. But I hadn't had insurance in years. So, like, I never saw doctors, ever, for anything. Like, I literally broke my fucking foot, and I splinted it myself. (laughs) You know, I was like, I'm not going to the hospital. Uh, My friend, I split my head open. My friend gave me stitches and super glue. Ah. After a puncture, like, I bashed my head into a wall, and it was, like, 
way split open, like, just fucking sewed that shit shut, you know? So, I mean, yeah, I was, like, really DIY about my metal care, and I was talking to, like, some people about getting hormones on the black market, you know what I mean? Like, I was straight up, like, I want to start tea now, but that information, like, was available online, but wasn't, so, like, I knew people in the GIP, they're like, oh, if you want to get hormones, I'm thinking of, like, they gave me a double dose, like, do you want to try a shot? And I'm like, I don't know, feel a little weird about this. Um, so, I mean, Calmord has gone through sometimes being unbelievably awesome and sometimes being really terrible, and it has to do with their funding and who's staffing them at the time. Sure. You know, it's gone through a lot of changes. I've stuck with them. It is still better than anything out there. Yeah. They've been around forever. They were the only ones doing what they were doing. They've been doing it for a long time. And yes, there are a lot of problems. And people's experience of Calamoid are really real. And there's lots of critiques that I have. But I'm not going to stop going to them. Of course. Because there was nothing in New Jersey. I had to go to Manhattan. Like, I had to move to the city. There was no way I was going to survive in Jersey. Yeah. You know? Like, there were the only trans folks that I knew where there were, there were few and far between. And the guys I was hanging out with, like... The only reason we were friends is because we were trans. And then I realized that a lot of them were really, like, toxic. And not okay. And, like, did not share my values mm -hmm. at all. They were not feminist. They were also posturing, like, toxic masculinity. And were weirdly right-wing and racist. And I was like, I am not into, like, this is not who I am. But I was doing it because I was, like, for camaraderie, for something. Right. And then I finally, like, found this whole community here, and I was like, I don't have to be this person that I actually don't like. If you were to meet me 13 years ago, I was a piece of shit. Like, I was a terrible person. And But that wasn't really me, but that's who I thought I had to right. be to, like, access community. any kind of community, like, yeah. any kind of, like, recognition. Because otherwise I was hanging out with, like, my dude friends... And they'd be like, oh, no, who's the dyke? Oh, who's our dykey friend? Blip, 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 blip. And it was a token, and it was like, oh, you know, like, Nogan likes to pretend he's got a dick. <laughs> you know? Like... My brother used to call me a shim. She, him. Actually, he used to call me a shit. A she, it. Um, and then his sister was like, that is rude. Like, don't do that. At least try something. And, like, was kind of joking. It was like, maybe shim? Like, she, him? Because Nogan's... Not 100% passing. And I was like, it was a really sad attempt at allyship, but it was like more than I'd ever gotten. Yeah. Um, so it was amazing and it really meant a lot to me. But yeah, like that's, that's what I, that, that those were my best friends. Yeah. You know, these were the people that I trust my life with. And I, they're not bad folks. Like it's, it's just, it's not what I needed at that time, you know? I wanted, um, yeah. I wanted to ask actually about like gender identity project and like where, I mean, honestly, I don't, where is it? Does it still exist? And it sounds like that was like, other than Renfair and Shabbat, like, it sounds like that was like a space that like really connected you to community. I mean, yeah. Um, the gender identity project is at the center. Oh, okay. It still exists. Um, and they have the trans masculine and the trans feminine group. Those are the first two groups that were over there that were trans-specific. And then they later, much later down the line, after me going there for like five, six, seven years, I think like maybe four or five years ago, they finally had a gender non-conforming non group. 
um, that was actually started by two friends of mine because it was needed. You know what I mean? Because like the two groups were, if you were male assigned to birth or coerced male assigned to birth, you went to the trans feminine group, which was a spectrum and the trans masculine group was a spectrum. But in the beginning it was definitely dominated by people who were like, not necessarily very binary, but definitely medically focused. And there was a lot of people who were like, but I don't want top surgery. I don't want bottom surgery. I don't want hormones or I want hormones, but no surgery or I want surgery, but no hormones or I still like using multiple, whatever, because it's a spectrum. Right. So it was a trans masculine spectrum dropping group, but it was still like primarily like, even though that that was like what was said every time. And, you know, we tried to make space for that the group always led to a discussion about medical transition and it definitely like dominated the space. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't everybody's experience. I remember like when we first started going to the group, like my boyfriend came with me and he hated it because he was the only gay one that like, he was the only one who like literally identified as gay. Not like I'm a trans guy that hooks up with like other trans guys and women. You know what I mean? Like he's like, I am a gay male. And he was one of like, he was, like, one of the only ones that was openly admitting to that. Like, the others, like, people were like, yeah, I support men sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. like, twiddle their thumbs. But there wasn't, like, a, like, I am a faggot. I am a homosexual. Not a homosexual because, like, I sleep with other trans men. Like, I sleep with male men, man-identified folks. Like, I identify as gay. And I remember people were, like, would, like, kind of turn their head sideways and be like, you can't be trans and gay. You know what I mean? Because people were still thinking the Benjamin standards of care, like, if you were going to transition, you needed, to, one of the requirements were to, like, prove your attraction to women, and that you wanted to grow up, get married, and have children. Yeah. And be the breadwinner. Do you know what I mean? Like, this very, like, house, house, like, I want my little housewife doing all the things. Blah, 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 blah. Like, that was... Heteronormative packaging. Right, yeah. exactly. So, like, this, and it's funny because it was, like, it was 2006, 2007, this wasn't, like talking 12 years ago it's not that long ago but it's also a million years ago as far as like our the way we talk about queerness now um and like using terms like the t word was okay for trans masculine people to do and like it was just it was different the conversation was different the access to information was different And now it's a lot easier. It's a lot better. Do I think that the politics are better? No. Do I think that the access is perfect? Absolutely fucking not. It still is chock full of problems and still very patriarchal and binary and all of the above capitalism, blah, 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 blah. It's still better and has made massive strides. And I don't want to negate like those massive strides that we've made. Um, But yeah, it's, you know, it was also very white. You know what I mean? And, like, you know, that's another conversation. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, all these... There's very many layers to the whole situation. So, like, I got to experience a lot of, like, really amazing growth where, like, I don't know, some of my friends didn't. Because of, like, being disabled, because of mental health stuff, especially, you know, like... A lot of people who were diagnosed with any kind of, like, mental health issue, like schizophrenia or bipolar, were not taken seriously in their transition because they were, they were nuts. They were crazy. They were blah, blah, blah. It's like, or folks on the autism spectrum, 
you know, they're like, oh, you have no idea what a binary is. You know, you're autistic. You know what I mean? Like, that wasn't, you know, like, yeah. really fucking ableist. Incredibly ableist. Um, so guys wouldn't admit that they had diagnoses just to get, to, like, prove to the psychiatrist that they were, like, well enough. People wouldn't talk about their suicidal ideation. Like, I know I didn't. I didn't tell my therapist that I ever even thought of wanting to kill myself. You know? Because, like, they wouldn't, I, I wouldn't get the hormones. Yeah. You need to lie through your teeth about so much stuff. Like, there's so much weird gatekeeping. And now, you know, when a provider asks me, like, about my mental health, I'll be like, oh, yeah, like, I have depression and I tried to attempt suicide, like, 18 times through this time, through this time. I've been hospitalized this many times and I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid because, like, also there's certain privileges that I have. Um, and I, like, an older and know how to navigate that system really well through, like, trial and error. But I now I'm honest. I'm like... This should have no bearing on my access to the meds that I need. You know, I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. It doesn't matter. My legs don't work. They do work. doesn't matter. Like, we're talking about something that has nothing to do with that. Um, and I think that that conversation has gotten better. Like, I think that, like, Cal and Lord, and they were the first to do it. They're still not great about it. Um, but I don't know. Like, it's, it's interesting to, like, I, at only 33... It's funny to me because, like, in this way, like, I'm I'm starting to enter the realm of trans elder, but there are trans folks that are way older than me that have transitioned before me, but younger trans folks don't have patience for them mm -hmm. because there's a cultural clash, and it's really, really sad to me because I'm kind of, like, right on the cusp of the two. Like, I know what the young academics are saying. It's, just, like, it's funny to me because, like, people are doing gender studies... And they're reading about stuff that, like, they might even be mentioning me and my friends in that book. Like, I probably even did their interview for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no, that weird guy that did that thing, that was me. <laughs> or that was yeah. my boyfriend. Right. Or that's my friend. Like, these are people that I know. Or, like, when I say that I know somebody, people are like, wait, what do you mean you know them? I'm like we used to go to therapy together like I don't want to tell you like I've been here forever but I haven't been here that long it's 12 years it's not that long like I'm I'm very early very young I'm a baby and I there's people that are older than me and they look at me and they're like oh in the 90s but like now I'm saying like oh in the late 90s early aughts people are like I mean like these 22 year olds and they're like you know Pat Olivia? you know Kate Bornstein you know Silas Howard and they're like like hyperventilating like losing their poop over it and I'm like Oh, I'll tell you. Yeah. Like, yes. Of course I do. We were all here in New York together. I'm a baby to them. Like, I'm like, they're like, oh, I know, I remember when you showed up at 23 years old, you were all weird, you were taking my picture, you had no idea who I was, which was strange, <laughs> because, like, they were somebody, but they weren't. Yeah. You know? You're caught between generations. I am. Yeah. It's, like, really weird. People are like, oh, you're just dumb millennial. I'm like, no. no I've no. been hanging out in the city since I was 13. Most of my friends are, like, 10 to 15, 20 years older than me. And I relate much better to them because, like, I don't, I don't, I didn't go to college. There was no gender studies. Like, when I was doing, when for the one year that I, I did go to university, I went to school of visual arts. And I, you know, like, Catherine Opie was, like, huge to me. Like, and I saw her project on, like, the, on the Drag Kings. And I was like cool and like um cindy sherman's like you know whatever and claude cahoon who was 
this amazing photographer from the 30s, Jewish, gender nonconforming, probably a lesbian, but actually might have been a trans person, was doing like weird gender photography that was then the Nazis came in, stole all of their stuff and burned most of it. And they escaped to France, you know, in Jersey, like Jersey, England, like not, oh. <laughs> not New Jersey, New York, Jersey, but like escaped to Jersey and was married and partners with a prominent um, poet, philosopher who wrote amazing books. And like, you know, they were in the Dadaist movement. Like Claude Cahoon was like right there at the beginning of the Dadaist movement and doing like rayograms and like doing all these like weird photography stuff before man ray was kind of doing or like right around the same time like unbelievable when i discovered their art i was like blown mind everything you're just like nah, nah, nah. give me the queer stuff because like there was like nothing so i was like doing like weird gender photographs and like taking inanimate objects and making them gendered and non-gendered and like doing all this like weird makeup stuff you know influenced by these artists and like you know this was around the time where where Della Grace Volcano and my friend Tabarin was like make they'd been making art and they were putting out stuff and like I was doing stuff and I was like right on this cusp had I continued like I don't know like maybe I'd actually be a real photographer right now like at school like my professor was like oh this is really interesting or like blah 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 and I started trying to do these photo projects but I never followed through because I was high and drunk all the time you know what I mean like I just it didn't pan out for me but I was, like, right there at the beginning of, like, this, like, very, very, as, like I said, the, the F10 2K art movement. Like, I was, like, I was the baby of it. Like, I was really young to it. And I wasn't familiar with the artists at the time. Like, I had just, like, I didn't know Tabarin and Dell at the time. Like, I met Tabarin much later in life. Um, I mean, not that much later, but, like, several years later after he'd been doing art for some time and was, like, studying stuff. And now we're very good friends. Um, but yeah, like I, I could have been in this, like, I don't know, like I was doing weird, I was taking pictures of trans folks in their homes for this project back in 2004, I started this project and I just kind of like, I never had equipment that was good enough to get the images that I wanted. So I kept on like side tabling it and like coming back to it when I had access to better equipment and then tabling it. And then like Amos Mack and Ames Beckerman and all these like younger photographers where I had been already a photographer for 14 years came in and started photographing beautiful photographs. Like I'm yeah. not, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and they, and like, and now they're doing great. Like they're blowing up and it's like, it was like kind of weird. Cause like, I just remember like when I started seeing like, Oh, you know, and like Reese Ernst and like Zachary Drucker and like all these people who are making, who are now major, really important contributing artists and it's like, I was kind of doing it before them slash a little bit at the same time, but I started like earlier than them, but I didn't, I wasn't out there. And like, I don't know, like the, the, the timing access thing didn't happen. So it's like funny because like, I'm the same age as several of them. Like we're the same numerical age, but in some ways I'm a little older and they had like certain access that I didn't because I was a drug addict, homeless, trans kid, punk. And like you know, only had, like, shitty old film cameras that I couldn't afford to get the film processed. And then I finally had a digital camera that I got. Um, and I was photographing with, like, events and doing weddings and, like, trying to make money and, but, like, doing my project on the side. And I have a whole archive of images 
Um, and they're terrible. Like, they're terrible photographs. They're, like, really grainy and, like, the, not well lit. And they're, like, interesting. But, like, they're not beautiful by any means. But they're interesting. Um, and I never put them out there. Because, like, at one point I felt like suddenly there was, like, I don't know, like, in 2009, 2010, like, I just felt like the world was inundated with images of white, trans, masculine people that had transitioned. And I was like, I'm, I don't... It's, there's a shit ton of it. And I'm not saying it's bad, like, it, it needed yeah. to happen, but I was like, eh. And it was all by cis people, which was what was hilarious. And then it was being done by trans guys, but then it was like, you know, and then we had, you know, uh, like, FDM fuckers and uh, Original Plumbing Magazine, which my band got to be in, and I thought it was, and, and XX Boys, what were these, like, were these, um... There were online magazines and okay. printed magazines that existed, like, later on after I'd been doing photographs. Like, XX Boys was a while, around for a while, but then the organizer was accused of sexual harassment, and it got real fucking messy, so that kind of, like, went to the wayside. And I know people that participated in it, not, like, in the sexual harassment part, right. but in the, like, being photographed part. And it was, like, this beautiful, like, kind of porn, kind of art, art porn, like hot trans men being photographed and, like, being appreciated and being gay. And not gay sometimes, you know what I mean? And, like, and then Original Plumbing was, you know, Amos Mack and Rocco, like, started this magazine for trans folks, mostly trans masculine folks, occasional trans femmes. Um, and it was great, but it was still, like, admittedly, it was kind of white. You know, there were people of color, like, more than other places. And, like, I think that they tried really hard to, like, make sure. But it was definitely, like, major majority of people that were in some way medically transitioned. You know what I mean? Like, and it's, it's who did you have access to? Who was willing to work for free? You know, because, like, the magazine had no money. It couldn't pay people. It was free promo. They, like, had featured artists that they did articles with. It was really important. Like, I love original Plumbing Magazine. Like, it was great. I have several issues on my on my shelf somewhere up there. But... But you're recognizing that, like, there were groups that were definitely not being made as right. visible as other folks. And that that was a typical narrative of being, like, predominantly white and then, like, maybe medically transitioned. Right, well. and, like, yeah. I wouldn't even say, like, hyper-masculine, but in some ways, yeah. You know. But there was a lot of, like, I don't know, like, Wyatt Riot was on the cover, and, like, Wyatt's uh, pretty gender non-conforming. Like, he, they, like, definitely femme, you know, like, beautiful, adorable, like, cute boy with, like, it's Wyatt. Like, they're amazing, right? Like, they're just, like, this very sweet... Uh, they had a moment, like, kinky, queer adorable chubby faggot bottom like i don't know like unicorn whatever tender whatever whatever the the new age words <laughs> we use to describe non-binary binary trans masculine unicorn fluffy weirdos something i don't know no i've, I've heard all those terms so <laughs> so i'm like that could be <laughs> depending on what they identify yeah as. <laughs> anything and everything right like i, yeah. I you know i, I can't it's not my place to describe somebody else. Like, my read of them is... is yeah. Queer as fuck. <laughs> right? Uh, with, that does bring to mind, though, like, um, I know I've asked you before, or you've talked to me before about, like, the leather community 
Um, and I feel like, like, what, I guess, like, where do you see, where do you see the, like, leather community and where do you see, like, queer radical, like, BDSM, like, right now? And what would you ideally see? Uh, well, when it comes to queer radical BDSM, right, like, there's kind of, so there's gay leather, old guard leather, and I'm talking about cultural, not material. Um, leather has always been this amazing place, like, even in gay culture, where it was like the fringe of the fringe. So there was always a place for gender nonconformity. You know, there was, it was always a place for, like, femme, dom, daddies, and, like, sissy, faggot, bottoms. You know what I mean? Like, it's fringe, right? Like, even in gay culture, it's, like, kind of fringe. And there's always been, like, trans folks. There's always been, like, leather daddy dykes, you know? And some of them have turned into trans men. And there's a lot of feelings about that. You know, there's, like, old... I, I lost a lot of my older leather dyke friends when I decided to transition because they're like, oh, you're becoming male, you're assimilating, you know, like, dyke separatist, like, kind of weird turfy shit. Um, but at the same time, there was also, like, when it was good, it was, like, also could be very accepting. You know what I mean? Like, I knew butch dykes that would fuck cis men. Like, it was always a space that could be queer but it didn't have the radical dialect or like the the way we talk about it now and I think you know so there's gay leather community but like leather community was always definitely dominated by like a masculine centric uh, idealism? Verbatim, like, like, yeah, idealism, like, like, culture. Mm. Um, you know, it was like, when people think leather, they think big, muscly, hairy dudes wearing, like, you know, biker caps and chaps. You know what I mean? Wearing leather uniforms, cop worship, biker worship, like... Right? Like, we, there's, like, these images, like, very Tom of Finland, like, muscles, maybe some, some like, larger body fat folks, but, like, lots of hair, lots of grit, like, uh, macho, like, chains biting stuff, rah, 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 <laughs> you know, just like this, like, you're, like, beating somebody, and they're just like, yeah, give it to me again, daddy, you know, like, this, like, very, like, and, like, and in some ways, like, some, or, like, really hyper-femininity that was, like, like, the, 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 the domina, the femme domina that's, like, lipstick, eye, eyeliner up to here, just, like, <laughs> you know, no more wire haggers. Like, just, like, corsets, like, thigh-high latex boots, blah, blah, blah. Like, right, right, this, and that's, like, not even, and that's, like, even, like, I would say more straight than gay. Like, that's, like... Like, when people say, like, kinky straight people, they're thinking, like, the femdom. Like, that's not even, like, really gay. 
even though it existed, but it wasn't like that sort of like high femme leather dom. Um, I think just like was and wasn't. Um, but yeah, like I would say that like gay leather culture was definitely dominated by like, so there's like this whole, you know, old guard was, you know, nonverbal consent. Um, very hierarchical, like reacting to them, like almost militant. You know what I mean? Like you didn't just get to come in. There was mentorship. Like you had to learn how to be a top. You had to learn how to be a bootblack. Like you had to work your way. You like were in service first. And it was very like formal, like, sir, like you earned your titles. Like you moved through the ranks. You know what I mean? Like leather was like, there is protocol. And I think that, like, queer, anarchist, like, feminist-centric, like, coming from, like, lesbian, les like, feminist-lesbian, lesbian-separatist space, especially, like, like, vegan, anti-patriarchal, no-killing-animals, like, crunchy, vegetarian, Barnard, Smith University, like... <laughs> This kind of, like, very, like, nurturing, very consent-based, like, very processy, very, like, said, like, it's a very, it's a very feminist, feminist academic. And a lot of queer radical culture is really based on that, because they're really anti-patriarchal, which, like, gay male leather and gay culture you know like anti-chelsea boy anti-like white male like anti-like masculinity like all of like or like masculinity but it kind of turned on its head like butch dyke but like country vegan earth mother you know what i mean like not like could be hard but hard from the land you know like i work with wood i wear my birkenstocks we oats you know like yeah different really different and like you know they're like yes there was crossovers but these were also like these were like there were very defined lines and my experience of radical queer bdsm community is it is turned on by this like gay tom of finland like it's like it's like hot but they're also very critical and they're like this is awful because it's patriarchy so we need to be more here with the matriarchy, but like this is also not great and doesn't leave a lot of space. So like it's like they're trying to come together, but like when I go to queer radical parties, like they do come from a very feminist focused space, which feminist culture, like wanting to not be like gay male culture, means that we're gonna like enthusiastic, like loudly talk about my my hair follicle grazing your hair follicle kind of thing. You know what I mean? Which is good because trauma and whatever, like right. it's not a critique. It's just like, it's very different. They're really different. Yeah. And I think especially amongst like folks who didn't experience that, you know, because of whatever access, like female assigned at birth, people, trans masculine folks, like being very embedded in like, dikey feminist space or like 
you know, trans femme folks that were, like, really ostracized for being too effeminate or too sissy or too whatever in, like, male space or, like, wanted, you know, strong feminism because they're they're femmes and feminists and women identified folks and they want that, you know what I mean? They should absolutely have access to that because TERFs, you know, being shitty, but also, like, gay men being shitty because they're like, oh, I'll go with women, you know? So there's, like, that that whole, like, awful shit show in the middle, like, really, really rejecting, like, queer radical culture, like, really trying to reject, like, this, also, like, anarchy, like, right? Like, who wants, like, fucking hierarchy? Who wants protocol? Like, yeah. if you're a top, you get to be a top. You know what I mean? Like, very self-informed. And that's also fine. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm, this is not, it's just, like, this is, like, kind of my read. And there are things in, in, in that protocol, in that leather culture that are really fucking amazing. And like, if we want to change it and improve it and make it better, like nonverbal consent is a legitimate consent basis. You know what I mean? It's not assault. It, it's, it can be, but it's not always like. Sometimes you make eye contact across the room and somebody very gently touches my knee because they've read my body language and I'm like, no, please keep going up my thigh. Like, let's do this. I'm not going to be like, is it all right if I graze my hand upon your cheek in this loving way? Some ways I've found, I have have experienced as much non-consensual behavior in like hyper-consent spaces as I have in non-consensual spaces, in in like non-verbal consent spaces. I don't think that I've been assaulted less in one and more in the other. It's just different. I've had people who have used the language of consent to, um... We we were just talking about uh, the distinction between, um, like, generations of trans folk and the language people use to identify themselves. And do you mind, like, repeating what you just said, Noga? Um, yeah, so, right, you have, like, access where now things are so available through Google and Tumblr and all these things, which were not available to, like, myself at an early age, and then there's people older than me that are, like, earlier, you want to call them trans and queer elders, and it's not that they're not open to this conversation, but they, we didn't have those words you know, and this, like, really beautiful academic influence generation shaming older people for, like, not being there is, it sucks. It just sucks. It's just, like, it's, like, a really, it's really difficult. You know, there's, like, several members, there's, like, almost this, like, like, almost, like, this, like, fetishization of, like, days of your, like, oh, Stonewall was a riot, not a parade, and, 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 like, you know, you know, Miss Major is so great, and Sylvia Rivera did this and did this. I'm telling you, there are people who were their friends and peers that are alive now that I know people have cut them out and will not give them the time of day because they're not using the right language or they're like... It's not that they're not understanding a concept, but it wasn't called that. Like... People are living in theory now and not in practice. Which was also something we were talking about in regards to 
um, like making space for folks who like process mentally um, in very variety of ways and folks who identify as like uh, not neurotypical, just like there's a lot of theory about it, right? Right. There's a lot of language and it's all like really beautiful sounding and and like, you know, you can use all the right freaking words, you know what I mean? If you have access to that and you're like the kind of person that can like read all the articles in the books and like have those words to use, like non-binary spectrum, I, I don't even know what people, like I couldn't even tell you because I'm not an academic, but like, I, you know, I hear things, I'm, I'm a talker, I'm a listener, like I hear this stuff, like I can't read really well, like I tried to read you know, like, Judith Butler and, and I, I don't know, name any theorist, like, the queer theory that people are learning today and the gender studies that, of what people are studying now in school or reading online, like, that wasn't there? Or was, it was, it was in, like, weird underground zine culture? Or, like, it, we talked about it. It was, like, stuff that were like, oh, I wish that, like, people would recognize that actually, you know, I might identify as a glitter unicorn whatever something like why can't that be a thing because like the, the predominant was Benjamin standards of care or like whatever was out there and now you know you google like afab amab you know unicorn crusty blah 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 and you will have like vice magazine <laughs> mtv uh just, there's so much there's teen so vogue. teen vogue like <laughs> It's great. I love it. Yeah. I love there's all this access and it's at your fingertips. But at the same time, it's like some people don't have smartphones. Some people don't know how to use a computer. Some people are complete Luddites. Some people just can't fucking read because we're dyslexic or whatever. Or English is not our first language. Um, sometimes we have, we're translating from other languages that have a binary language that don't have a non-gendered other you know what I mean? Like, in Spanish, people are literally trying to change the language. In Hebrew, we're trying to find ways to change the language. In French, they're trying to change the language. Like, <laughs> verbs have gender. Actions have gender. Like, all these things, when they get translated in English, there's, like, no English equivalent. Or you want to take, like, your non-binary, like, gender non-conforming academic language and bring it into Arabic. And, like, there's no equivalent words. Like, you're, like, searching through so many things. And it's like, how do you describe this? Or it's like, there is a word for it, but it's not really a word you know, there's, like, all this communication that doesn't get to happen at the rate and at the way that, like, everybody can process. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, like, it's complicated, it's difficult, and, like, it's beautiful and wonderful, but, like, it's not a reason that somebody's not an asshole because they don't understand. You know, ignorance is still, like, a real thing, and, like, making space for that. And, no, it is not the job of an oppressed somebody to, like, have to explain you know, and yes, oppression's non-hierarchical, but it is hierarchical, because let's be real, like, where are our access issues? You know what I mean? Like, it's nuanced, and it's so much more complicated, and you don't just get to make... You get to make blanket statements, but you don't get to make blanket statements. You know what I mean? And, like, I'm not going to say that we can, can we all just get along, and can we all just make understand, because, like, you don't know what somebody's story is, and... No, not everybody has the capacity to sit there. And yes, you're allowed to be angry, but can we be angry without killing people off? Without cutting them off? Can we find ways, either within ourselves or the people around us, to 
bring them in closer. Now, a victim should never have to encounter the person who's oppressed them and bring them in closer and do that work. But, like, what about the people adjacent to them? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, within three degrees, within two degrees, find it. Find the compassion. Find the compassion in your heart. Like, find the space. Um, and it's a lot of work. And, it, and to practice, like, we can talk about it all day at nauseam. But to physically do it, to physically go out and say, I love you, I care about you, I recognize you as a human being to somebody that has, whether they mildly offended you or flat out tried to kill you, is like, it's hard. Yeah. But that's, that's the real work like you we can study theory all day but if you don't put it in practice it's completely fucking useless what's the point of a doctor studying how to do you know microsurgery on like small appendages or whatever if they never like if all they did was study and they've never gone in and like practiced on a cadaver or like done it when they are they gonna are you gonna let that surgeon come into the room and, like, perform that surgery when they, all they did was read the manual? Like, you have to practice piano before you play a concerto. You know what I mean? Like, we have to practice. You have to have this as practice. We can't just have queer theory. We have to have queer practice. And I, you know, only in the last year do I think that, like, that convert, like, it's just even a conversation. Like, nobody's actually, like, physically <laughs> doing it. Like, I mean, I, people are doing it. I see it being done. But it's, it's hard. It's so hard. Like, and, and, and like, wh- how do we measure it? How do we quantify it? How, we ma- how do we make it, like, a thing, you know? And there's some who practice it more than others. You know what I mean? Like, I definitely see it in practice more in my neighbors here um, who happen to be, like, people of color. Like, they have way more compassion for a lot of stuff, and I see folks have more space for it in some ways. Like, I see older people have sometimes more compassion for younger people than I do for young people for older people. As somebody who's experienced both, like, I've been frustrated with some older members who have, like, said stuff, and I'm like, you know, god damn it. Like, ooh. But I've approached them and, like, said, I mean, there was a person who used to come to the group and he was an older generation person who transitioned later in life but was part of the old guard leather community and... neuroatypical, had a lot going on, and repeatedly, like, as somebody, because I could relate to him on, like, a sort of peer level, just because of my personal experience, we had a shared experience of, like, being from the same community from the same era. He respected me. So I was able to do that work and be like, you, I understand, he, you know, he would say something and I'd call him to be like, bro, this is not cool. And, like, that's my job, right? Like, I'm... At sort of, like, this weird place where, like, I can kind of chameleon places. Like, I pass as male, cis, straight, white, 
mostly able-bodied-ish. I know the language of academics, but I'm not an academic, so I seem smarter than I am. Like, fake it till you make it, you know what I mean? Like, that's been a survival tactic that I've had to use. Like, I can do that. And because of that, no, I don't always come out as trans. And no, I don't always tell people that I'm neurotypical and that I have seizures or that I have, like, I can't use my right leg half the time or that I don't feel parts of my... You know what I mean? Like, I just do the things and hope for the best and, like, hopefully it won't, like, collapse on the floor and have a seizure or, like, stop doing something or, like, I won't say the wrong thing or I can use, like, the words from some article that I was able to read. You know what I mean? Like, I, I like, try to put these things into practice. Like, I find ways. Do I always do it successfully? Absolutely fucking not. But, like, as somebody who has X privileges, like, I can navigate spaces. So, yeah, that's, like, my job, right? Like, that's, that's the work I want to do. That's, like, what I want to do with what I have access to. And, you know, when I think I'm at capacity, when I think it's, like, the end of my rope, and I'm like, I can't fucking do this anymore, I... I don't know, uh, smoke a cigarette, have a beer, like, take a deep breath, scream at my mom, like, <laughs> go for a bike ride, cuddle my dogs. I, like, find whatever, when I feel like I'm at the last of my reservoir, I dig deeper in the what? you know what I mean? Like, and that, to me, is what putting into practice is. When you think you're at the absolute end of your rope, when it's just, like, the end and you don't want to do it anymore... Move a rock, shift some sand, find it. Like, you'll find it. It's it's there. Like, we all have the drive to survive within us. It's like animal brain deep, you know, below the medulla, reptilian brain, whatever you want to call it. Like, whatever that thing that keeps you breathing, keeps your heart moving, keeps us wanting to connect to each other. I hate using, like, dig deeper. You know what I mean? Like, but dig deeper. You know? Find the darkest part of your heart and, like blow it open and it will blow up in your face again and again and again and again uh Bryn dying destroyed me I wanted to I, I didn't think I could survive anymore I, I was gone I was finished I hated everybody everybody I hated the whole fucking world I hated Bryn I hated patriarchy I hated HIV I hated everything everything I was done you know, and I was lucky. I had people that loved me and my family rallied around me. My community rallied around me and people like financially, emotionally, like they, they, they dug in, they, they pushed me. They did things. My partner, you know, we had broken up, you know, and like Jack's like fucking like held me and I stayed with him and we held each other and we worked and we worked and we worked like we, we did it. And then, you know, I, I had a roommate and he didn't pay his rent, and I was working three jobs, 18 hours a day, seven days a week. My dog had allergies and was shitting in the house, and he was, like, complaining about it and threatening to call the landlord on me, and I'm like, you can't do shit, and, like, I didn't want to take him to court because of, like, there was a lot of, like, dynamics around that, so I absolutely refused. So I continued to pay the bills because, like, I don't want to turn the electricity off. I need it. I need the AC to run. I don't want... It's hot in our apartment. Like, I... I dug deeper, like, I worked more, I found money, people gave me money, I paid people back, I didn't pay people back, I still owe people money from that, you know? 
And finally, it was like the only choice I had was to leave my home. And I thought like that was the end, like to leave the place where I'd been living for five years, where my roommate had passed away, where we had built all this love and it was a community center where I had, you know, people stay with us that needed housing in like, we wanted to create a hub. We wanted to share our resources. That's all we ever, and I wanted to continue that. I wanted to have a place where people could come and feel safe, you know? And, and, and it was, it was gone. It was gone. Like I, I, I didn't just give up my home. I gave up like a, an idealism, like something that Bryn and I deeply wanted to share as two people who had experienced such desperate times, such like awful situations and there were people who took care of us. And now we had something that we could bring to other people. Even when we were at capacity and Brynn would tell me, I can't believe this person is still here. I don't want people to stay here anymore. I'm done. Like enough's enough. We'd be fighting with each other. Passive aggressive redecorating. Whatever it was. Like <laughs> constant. Yeah. Like, why do you do this? But like at the same time, like there was nobody I loved more in the world than her. You know, and, 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 and her, me, and her, everybody. Like, even for as cunty and bitchy as she was, she loved so deeply. And if there was literally something that she could give, it, it would literally cost her, her 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 mental health. She would sit back down and say, but what if it was me? You know? I've done this. And somebody did it for me. I'm going to do it for somebody else. And we did it. And we dug. And we dug. And we did it. And like, and it got paid back to us. Like, like I'm saying, like, I wouldn't be here without Brooklyn. Like, I was homeless for a year and a half and people found space for me. You know what I mean? Like, it was all these things. You know, for as much terrible, there was so much joy. There was many midnight beach trips naked in the moon and, and, and like pictures and, and weird tours where our car broke down and like just the pendulum swings and and it's always terrible and wonderful at the same time especially being on, on in a in a minority situation where the stresses and the joys because like the stress is so deep that when you experience the joy it's so much more elation you know like you i, I don't know how else to describe it as except as a, a, a bipolar existence you know like it's um i don't like i don't want to use a mental health terminology but it's like they're polar opposites and it's where do we lie? It's, it's funny. Like now that I've lived on my loan, my, on my, on my own and I, I've struggled so hard to like have this sort of mundaneity in my life. I get up in the morning, take a shower, dogs go out. I feed the dogs. I feed the fish. I eat breakfast. I go to work. I have coffee. Customers come in. I engage <laughs> with people. Customers go out, I close the doors. I come home. I walk the dogs. I eat a food. And then I sit by myself in my apartment and like, maybe I watch Netflix. If I'm feeling exciting, I go to queer karaoke. Maybe I go to a queer play party. You know what I mean? But I'm like in bed, 1130. Here we go. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And for me, there's like this amazing beauty in this. Like all I've ever wanted is stability. Like I just like want this like beautiful constant where I don't have to think about the extremities of the world around me and like it's so boring like sometimes I'm sitting here I'm like what what I'm not gonna I'm not gonna run and throw some shit at the cops like 
I even sometimes get so overexcited, like, when stuff, like, like my neighbors will be yelling outside, I'll, like, look out my window, I'm like, does somebody need help? <laughs> what can I do? Oh, you know what? I'll make a bunch of food, and I'll go find Jermaine and some folks, and I'll, like, go hand out food. You know, like, I'm yeah. like, I'm like, what can I do to, like, I don't know, be exciting and active and participate and, like, make, make the world better, you know what I mean? Like, because I'm like, but that's, like, having that stability, like, gives me the energy for that when... But when I was, like, homeless and, like, struggling and, like, trying to find food, like, somebody would be like, do you have a dollar? And I'm like, I want a dollar, <laughs> you know? Um, and I don't have dollars to give, but I dumpster food and have lots of it so I can give it, right? Like, yeah. I have cigarettes because I buy them for cheap. And I'm like, yo, if this is what's going to keep you alive right now, like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, actually, I got paid today. So, yes, I do have $5. So, you know, it's like, you know, and sometimes I'll shift money from one account to another account. I'll be like, okay, well, we paid this and this and this. I'm behind on this, but this guy needs a burger. All right, we can do the burger, but we're going to, like, not do the coffee tomorrow. And, like, dog food, maybe I'll dumpster some raw meat and I'll eat raw for a week. You know what I mean? Like, there's all this shifting and, like, blah, 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 blah. like, I don't know. Like, you just find, you find the spaces where you can give. It's like this amazing Tetris while still trying to, to maintain this kind of, like, constant state this mundaneity this like level stability headedness where you can anticipate all the other little blocks coming in and you know where you're going to move them to create the like bam, 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 you know next level you know um i don't know and i guess that's like where that queer practice and theory goes like like i could talk like it said i know about patriarchy and racism and and and, and like i could i could read like baldwin and and i don't i don't, I don't know the names of theorists, but, like, people who are important that I, when I hear them, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're really smart. And I read a thing that they said, and I liked it. And it was like, good, and I'm gonna do that. Um, but it's like, when it comes down to it, like, theory's great, but, like, I have to live, and I have to now do a thing. What, it, what am I physically doing? Is it perfect, great, all the time? Absolutely fucking not. I'm a human goddamn being. Like, I'm gonna fuck up constantly. All the time, without a doubt. In fact, I self-identify as an asshole. You know, like, that's just who I am, and I'm absolutely going to unfortunately hurt people along the way, and I'm going to get hurt, and I, it's the last thing I want to do. When somebody tells me that I've hurt them, my whole world is crushed. I, I, I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't, I don't want to lie to them. I don't want to give them false information or mixed messages, or I don't want people to do what I want them to do because they're humans. If I wanted somebody to do everything that I wanted them to do... I would go get Siri or Amazon, like Amazon robot something or a Roomba and, or like I would build something like I know a little bit of programming. Like I would make a, a, a boyfriend bot, you know what I mean? Like that's what I would do or I would have a child, which even then <laughs> not happening as for somebody who's worked in childcare for 15 years, like kids are going to do whatever the fuck they want. So I don't know. Like it's, It is what it is. Like, I, it, it's it's life, and there's no right, wrong, good answer. And, you know, like, whether you're trans or not, you know, the things that inform our life outside of this experience, um, we're going to carry with us, and we're going to bring into our experience of gender and sex and religion and atheism and practice and whatever like it's all going to inform everything we operate in capitalism how you decide to spend your money within it how you decide to make your money how you decide to participate is going to dictate everything else you know 
you don't want to participate in capitalism, you're going to probably live on a land project in the woods. Maybe you'll have chickens. Maybe you'll steal shit instead. Like, maybe you'll dumpster more. You'll only wear secondhand clothes that are donated. Like, you'll find ways around capitalism. But in the end, we're all under it, right? Like, we can divert patriarchy and change it as much as we want. Like, and we'll do things by, like, creating feminist spaces. Like, queer and trans-only bike classes. Queer and trans-only, uh... You know, but separatist space only goes so far because you have to leave it because it still exists in the larger body of the world. And those are places where you can find respite, but they're not places that are ideal to live your whole life. Like you can, and I know people who do, but that's also not great. You know, if you, if we're living like nothing insular societies which if that's what somebody wants to do and needs to do like I applaud them go for it but like unfortunately if you're going to live in New York you're going to engage with a lot of other cultures you know what I mean like if you really want your own island go to your own island (laughs) yeah like it's terrible but for me the reason I live in New York is because I have access to all these other bubbles, because there's all these different experiences, because I will meet some of the most amazing and some of the worst people that I will ever possibly meet in the whole fucking world. You know what I mean? And and I think that that, you know, I, I've traveled all over the fucking world. I lived in a van, I sailed, I have flown, I traveled by camel, like... <laughs> I have been to... S- Five out of seven continents. Um, And my friends and my family even are from all over the world. You know, my cousins are from Ethiopia and Japan and and, and wherever. And, and like, I have a very large sphere that informs, like, the way that I feel about human beings. And the one thing that I know is that we have more in common than we have different. At the end of the day, everybody wants the same goddamn thing. And that's to thrive and live and be happy. But that's a utopia. And I don't even think that people want perfection. I think that people just want to be able to exist in a way that is sustainable. Um, and, and you know, and, like, when you're operating in a microcosm, like, the stressors of the outside world become amplified. And they seem bigger than they are and smaller than they aren't. I don't know. It's strange. It's, like, a really re- weird read on things. Um, I think we're coming to the end. Do you have any last things that you would want to say? Um, I mean, I always like to talk. Um, anything that you would want, any, if you wanted to people to hear one thing from you, (laughs) what would that be? I said a hundred things. Um, I think what it boils down to is you can only be the best person that you can be the best way that you can be. You know, that's it. Like, that's what I want. I don't give a shit about somebody's gender or their race or their religion or what. Like, we all bleed the same blood for the most part. We all have most of the same organs. And, like, we're humans and we're here and we do things. And, like, trans history, oral history, racial history, religious history, like, 
learn from it, grow from it, like put theory into actual practice, like practice it, practice it until you get it right. I'm just tired of lip service, mm-hmm. you know, like live your truth. I don't know. Like, I don't know what it is. Practice, 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 practice. Learn more, practice it, learn more, practice it, learn more, practice it. Just don't die. Cool. Thank you so much for doing this interview. Yeah, sure. My pleasure.